It's very likely that uh, in pretty much every age, Christians have recognized that men in general prefer the word of God. Sorry, they prefer the word of men to the word of God. And it's certainly very evident to us today, isn't it? You only have to try discussing the word of God with some of your non-Christian friends to find the reaction that they give. Some are simply not interested. Some are amused, and of course there are always some who are openly hostile. Conversely, of course, um, it's one of the ways that we can be reassured of our own standing with God. Because if you have a hunger and a thirst for God's word, uh, you can be sure that the Holy Spirit is prompting that within you. Because the natural man has no interest in the things of God. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then in Romans 10 and verse 17, he explained, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So friends, if you're still not entirely sure whether you're a Christian or not, you've done yourself a favour by coming into a church, placing yourself under God's word. And even that action is most likely been prompted by the Holy Spirit, because of yourself, you wouldn't be too interested. Can I encourage you to persevere? And the, the best way to persevere is, in fact, to get into God's Word. Persevere in reading through the Scriptures, because you can only know Him through the Scriptures. You should read His Word, read it every day, read it more than once, and start in Genesis, finish in Revelation, and then start again. Because the more you read it, the more you understand, and the more you will know him. And you'll be surprised at how quickly you'll come to know him as Lord. In recent years, there's been a, a fairly determined and widespread rejection of God's word, uh, and especially of the fundamentals of the Christian faith, uh, those bedrock rules uh, that God placed in the Old Testament. I'm going to read from Leviticus chapter 20, verses 10 to 13. And this is just a snapshot of what God gave man. Hear the word of God. If a man commits adultery with the wife of, an, of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Some of you may recognize that that uh, is the same Bible text that got uh, Israel flower into so much hot water. But friends, he, like me, was only repeating what God had said about these things. God was talking about 
particular acts. He wasn't, uh, Israel Folau wasn't passing judgment, not personal judgment. He was simply saying, this is what God says. And he was trying to help men to correct their behavior and thereby help them to avoid God's judgment. So these were some of God's rules for society regarding sexual practices. And in particular, he was looking at adultery, incest, and homosexuality. Of course, when the world heard what Israel Folau had to say, they only focused on the homosexual factor. Uh, that's the way it is with men. Because mankind almost universally has decided that he knows better than God. Most of these practices that I've just read out are no longer even considered to be a misdemeanor rather than uh, much less a capital offence. In any case, uh, capital, capital punishment has all but disappeared from the Western world. During the promiscuous 60s, the sexual revolution swept the entire planet and effectively started the process to dismantle marriage the covenant between men and women that was ordained by God, so that Western society in general declared that it was no longer strictly necessary that men and women would formally commit to each other before God in holy matrimony. The de facto relationship was born. And so now we see casual relationships form and fold with the consequential breakdown of the family unit. And over the years, we've seen the Lord's ordinances concerning crime and punishment in general overturned more or less throughout the world. So that what were formerly seen as capital offences now abound as normal practices. Sexual crimes against women and children are commonplace throughout the world, what, especially amongst what used to be called Christendom, the nominally Christian West. Uh, dare we call it the civilised West. But there's no longer a deterrent for this abhorrent behaviour, is there? With the removal of a sovereign God, to whom individual men and women must one day give account, absolute standards everywhere have dissolved. Men and women are free to decide for themselves their own standards of right and wrong. That's what happens when men decide to go their own way, trusting in their own judgment and in their own reason. Scripture warns us of the consequences of such behaviour. Not once, but twice in Proverbs. First in chapter 14, verse 12, and then again in Proverbs 16 and verse 25, using exactly the same words each time. It says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Of course, men don't like to hear that. But whose word should we obey? Men or the word of God? Let's have a look at what David had to say about this attitude in Psalm 12. I'm just going to read it to you again. I'm reading also from the ESV, so if you have it, please do follow along. If you don't have the ESV, you'll still be able to keep up. It's not that different. This is the word of God. 
Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbour. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? And then we hear God's response. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. And then David, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This is God's word. And in a sense, David was comparing two words. He was surrounded by duplicity, neighbours lying and flattering each other in verse 2. And he was contrasting their falsehood with the flawless truth of God's word in verse 6. <clears throat> then, as now, contemporary conversations would have been centred on prevailing news or events or conditions or social belief structures. And we have the same thing around us today in current times. For example, in the 21st century, the mainstream media tend to throw their weight and influence behind anything that focuses on the creation, and they deliberately exclude or even denigrate the creator. We're constantly subjected to news articles or televised documentaries which present the theory of evolution as if it was a fact. Nothing could be further from the truth, of course. Evolution is still only a theory, not a very good one. Propounded by Charles Darwin and swallowed whole by the secular world. Eight-year-old child will say, if we evolved from apes, why then are they still apes? How come only some evolved? There's, there's nothing in it, is there? There's more evidence against evolution than there is for it. But that's simply ignored because the lunatic left have got too many axes to grind uh, and they found it on that particular quicksand. But if you'll excuse the pun, we're not going to let ourselves get bogged down on that one. It was Mark Twain who famously said, if you don't read the newspapers, you'll be uninformed. If you do read the newspapers, you'll be misinformed. Yeah, it's all like that today. The point is, friends, that we're like David. We are surrounded by duplicity and lies. So where can we expect to see or hear the truth? Certainly not on television, on radio, or in the newspapers. Again, like David, we have to turn to the word of God to find the only real truth that we can trust. It's the only pure truth available. Verse 6 tells us that says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. And Numbers 23 verse 19 reassures us, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? 
Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God's word is absolute truth. In fact, it's not stretching a point to say that God's word is true, even if a condition on which he just spoken was not true before he spoke, because it would be true immediately after he had spoken. God's word creates truth. He speaks, and it is. When he created the heavens and the earth, he said, let there be. And those things sprang into being. They were formed by his very word. So let's just think about that for a moment. Jesus is known as the word of God. John stated it very clearly in the opening verses of his chapter, of his, of chapter one of his book. He said this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Do you see how he ties all of those things together? Jesus is God, he is the word of God, and he created all things. But just a minute, was it God or was it Jesus? Yes, Jesus is God. And in John 14 verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. So what's the point of all this? Where is the psalm taking us? Uh, or what can we take home from it? It's this. God's word, the Holy Scriptures, are really our only solid, reliable source of truth and wisdom for living. In this world now, and particularly if we want to spend eternity, all eternity, in God, once this life is finished. We cannot rely on anything said by men, particularly if it conflicts with anything that has been said by God. If we hope to spend eternity in heaven rather than hell, then there's really only one way you can do that. Because for starters, you'll only know about heaven and hell by reading God's word. It's the only place that those words originate. And so it follows that God is the final authority on both. And his servant David appeals to the Lord in the first four verses like this. I'll paraphrase it slightly. He said, Lord, help me. Honest people have gone and I'm surrounded by liars. No one is truthful. They're all only out for what they can get, what they can steal. Punish them, Father. Stop the mouths of those who boast about their own strength, those who deny your lordship over them. And then in verse 5, we see God's response. Because I hear the prayers of my people, I will rise up and defend them says the Lord. Because that's the truth. God listens to the, for the prayers of his people. First Peter 3 and verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 6 once again reiterates the purity and reliability of God's word, comparing it with silver, which has been refined seven times in a furnace. Completely trustworthy. David, more than anyone, knew the reliability of God. You only have to read the scriptures to know this. He was saved from almost certain destruction 
time and again through prayer for guidance, help and protection. And you can read about his turbulent reign over Israel in First and Second Samuel. And then in verses 7 and 8, David triumphantly concludes, You, O Lord, will keep us. You will protect us from the unrighteous, from wicked men, forever, for all eternity. And look at that last verse, verse 8. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. True in David's day, and oh, how that rings true today. Friends, the Bible makes it quite clear that there are only two conditions for men, righteous or wicked. The default position is that everyone is wicked. But there is hope for those who have faith in Jesus. Listen to what God said through the words of Paul in Romans 3, verses 21 to 23. He said, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We're not righteous by anything that we've done or can do. We're made righteous by Jesus' blood. By his sacrifice of his own life, we get to escape the wrath that is to come. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so surrounded as we are on all sides by duplicity and lies, we don't lose hope. We say with David, you, O Lord, you will guard us from this generation forever. Let's pray. Father, as we bow humbly before you, reminded once again of the indescribable gift of your son Jesus, given for us to free us from the consequences of our sin. We acknowledge our own unworthiness of such grace. Thank you, Father, that you've given us this faith by which we can know you freely, according only to your perfect will and wisdom. In the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.